Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Of that, today we're continuing our series in Foundations. Uh, we've been looking kind of at the, at the section of Scripture from the book of Acts and going, man, the church kind of gave us a blueprint uh, for things to build on. And just like the foundation of your house or the foundation of a church or the foundation of your life, right, there are certain principles that have to go in place. And if those things are wrong, if the foundation is damaged, then what we build on top of it uh, might be slightly askew. It might be off base. It might not stand the test of time. And so as we look at these kind of bedrock principles that we see in Scripture, we want to apply them not only uh, to us as a church body, but ultimately to our lives as believers. So we've been launching out from uh, Acts chapter 2 each week, and let's review that Scripture, and we'll kind of draw some correlations as well as next steps for us. So this is Acts chapter 2. This is in verse uh, 42. All the verses will be up on the screen, or 513 page 513 if you're following along in a worship center Bible. So here's the verse that we've been talking about the last couple weeks. It says, they, this is the early church, right, those first followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being Saved. So he said, this is, the, this is the blueprint of the foundation of the early church. Two weeks ago, Josh spoke to us about prayer and about how prayer is a foundational element of what it is to follow God. And by that we mean we don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you, but we mean, no, is prayer actually a part of our lives, a part of our discipleship journey? What role does it play when we gather together? What role does it play during your weeks, right? Prayer is not just for the Mega Millions jackpot people. Are we on board with this? couple of you are. All right, last week we looked at the apostles' teaching, and we said, hey, that they devoted themselves to this gospel message, kind of those first words of the, uh, of the apostles and about how they could follow more in line with Jesus. And we kind of diagnosed this pattern that's here, right, that as we look at the scripture that there is things that they devoted themselves to, acts that they did, and there was a result and a response to those things. And we drew this correlation, and we'll be carrying it through this entire series, that when we devote ourselves to these foundational principles, we can expect a result and a response. So last week we said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the gospel, and the result of that, that there were many signs and wonders, and the response of the people around them was one of awe. And we talked about how we have to devote ourselves to those same principles. But last week when I, when I read this, we kind of had a small just kind of feedback, and I was like, what, what stands out to you in these verses? And one of the things that I heard that stood out to us is that there was this idea of togetherness and unity and a frequency of meeting together. So today, I want to unpack verse 44 a little bit deeper with us. It says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And so the question that I'd like for us to ask today is, what would it look like to be devoted to each other? 
What would it look like to carry this type of devotion that we see played out in these verses, in these things, to be devoted to one another, to be devoted to the people that we surround ourselves with? What might the response and the result of such devotion be? And so to answer those questions, let's go a little bit deeper into the text. Quite frankly, this text, uh, when you look in the original language, is, is pretty boring. Uh, there's like two words for the word all that occurs twice. There's two verbs. If we were doing a vocabulary quiz, there's really only one word that would probably stand out for us, maybe two. The first word being believers, and the second word uh, being the word for common. The word is koinos. And whenever we do Greek words, I always make you be equally as embarrassed as I am. So let me hear you say koinos. Ready? One, two, three. Very good. You're all Greek scholars. Congratulations. Koinos means common. Um, it means uniform. It means there's nothing special. As a matter of fact, biblical Greek uh, is called Koine Greek because it was the Greek used by the common people. It was Koinos. It was ordinary. There's nothing outstanding about it. The, the interesting thing about this word koinos is that when it's used in a religious principle, when it's used to refer to things of devotion, to objects of worship, it actually has the opposite meaning because for things to be common in worship meant that they were profaned, meant that they were impure. You didn't want to use common objects in worship. You wanted to use holy and sacred objects in worship. So at this time, the Jewish people would actually not allow certain people into the the temple to worship God because they were koinos, because they were common, because there was nothing outstanding about them, and this was a sacred space. You may remember that there were multiple tiers within the temple of Judaism. There was a place where the people who were born and who were Jewish were allowed to worship, and then there was the outer court where other people were allowed to worship. It was their way of saying, look, only the religiously pure get into this moment. The koinos, the common, doesn't belong next to the sacred. There's a, a barricade there, which is fascinating. Because notice where this verse occurs, right? This is Acts chapter 2. The new church is just being founded. And instead of saying, we want to separate ourselves from the common, we want to separate ourselves from the koinos, the early church is adopting that language for themselves. They had everything in common which is fascinating. So what they're doing is saying, what used to be a separation, right? What used to keep you away from God is now the very thing that we champion that brings us together. We're now devoted to this being in common idea. We're not like other places, other spaces, other religions, other worshiping where there was a separation that was being built. They said, no, Jesus came to bring us together in common. And it's this one togetherness that allows us to be the type of people that Jesus invites us to be. As a matter of fact, koinos appears twice in that little section of Scripture that we read. It occurs in verse 44 where it says they had everything in common. It also appears in the very first verse, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to koinos, to koinonia, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer, right? So koinos is extended to a group of people in the very first verses here, that there is a family, a koine, koinos, koinonia, a group of people gathered together for the sake of having things in common. It was literally a coming together of common people where they expressed that what they shared together was simply the fact that they were together, 
that they had everything in common. This doesn't mean that they were uniform in that, right? There wasn't uniformity, right? All people are different. That's not what they're saying here. But that they were so together in their worship, in their act of coming together to God, that they made a term for it, and it was koinonia, right? But this is radical. This is not um, how we would probably start a church today, right? So what's distinctive about your church? I don't, I don't know, not much. We just kind of like hanging out together, right? But like what, what sets you apart? Well, we're just together. Well, what are you together around? We're just together around each other, right? We just love being together. There's nothing magical about it. We're just so devoted one to another. So in other words, they devoted themselves to being in common with one another. This was their hallmark, their gold standard. This is what their worship was characterized by, by simply being together and being devoted one to another. Not only do we see it in these verses, this carries through the book of Acts, all of the early writings of Scripture, and even into church history at the time. I found this quote by a guy whose name is Tertullian. He's an ancient theologian. He lived from about A.D. 160 to 220, and he wrote that the church looked this way to outside. He said an outsider would say of our church, look how they love one another. For they themselves, pagans, non-Jesus people, hate one another. And how they're ready to die for each other. For they themselves are more, are readier to kill each other. Tertullian is saying what's so fascinating about the church is their devotion and love for another in the midst of a society that is out to tear each other down and bring down everybody on the opposite side of the aisle. It's a good thing this is an ancient text and doesn't have anything for us today, right? Because this is reality, right? So often when we leave these doors, maybe even within these doors or the doors of another church where you've been, so much of our lives are consumed with worrying about other people, about tearing them down, putting them in their place. And the reality is that what the early church has defined for us, the blueprint, the foundational principle, is to be so devoted to one another that people take Notice that there's a genuine love and affection for each other, that we have time, space, and opportunity to pour into one another, and that this is the hallmark of what it is to be together. Not only does the outside church say this, but again, it's carried through the entire New Testament. John writes about this in his instructions to the church in his letter, 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He says this is the quintessential Jesus peace, right? I loved what Michelle had to say about this Jesus manifesto, but the point is that we ought to love one another. And if it isn't clear, right, when we devote ourselves to one another, to putting each other first, then the result that occurs within a group of people is a genuine, honest, radical, gut-wrenching kind of love. It's just like a genuine care for each other, that the response to our devotion is simply love. And love is, according to Scripture or tradition or even our experience, kind of the point, right? Like this is the opportunity that Jesus affords us. Love is the defining attribute of the early church. It's the defining attribute of Jesus, and it's the defining attribute to us as his followers. Again, though, when we fast forward to today, we're far too often, we've had this conversation before, defined by what we hate, defined by what we're against instead of our love. And we're not even talking about outsiders. We're talking about even just the family of Christ that gathers together. 
How many stories can we tell about churches splitting, about people being against each other? I can tell you stories about people splitting a church over the color of carpet. I can tell you stories about people, change, about people leaving a church over whether or not the insect that was bothering the pastor was a bee or a fly. Literally, I have that story. I could tell it to you. It's ridiculous. Behold how they love one another, right? The characteristic of a church of Christ followers, of people who are united in Jesus, and forget this one local place. Anytime we encounter anybody who shares our beliefs outside ought to be one of genuine care and affection. But there's so much backbiting and so much pulling against that the world around us no longer responds the way that Tertullian wrote some 2,000 years ago. Instead, they just see us as part of the problem. So what happened? Right? When we read the scriptures and we devote ourselves to this gospel, we think about how Christians ought to be and what we ought to be about, how we're supposed to love everyone, and this is the most defining aspect. And yet as we survey our interactions, as we survey our place in the world, as we survey what perhaps people outside of ourselves or even inside ourselves would say, love is not the loudest voice, and we need to answer why that is the case. We already kind of talked about this a little bit last week, right? But the answer is that they were so devoted to each other that their devotion came up with a genuine, authentic love. And so perhaps what we're being awoken to is not necessarily the fact that there's not love for one another within this place, but that we're simply not devoted one to another. We're not putting the principle in place. We're just seeing the result, which is love, and we're going, how come love isn't present? And the answer, I think, is because we're not devoting ourselves to the primary pieces that Jesus calls us to. Because if the church, big C, is lacking love, it's lacking devotion to each other and to people. It's too caught up in ideology or theology or who knows what else. It's forgotten its first love of Jesus and the people that he came to reach. And this is why church can be lonely. I don't know what your church experience is. I don't know what brings you to church today, but so often people come to church and they leave without having a real, genuine, authentic interaction with anybody. We engage in platitudes. We share what's on the surface of our lives, but not what's really going on. And that's why people come for a little bit and eventually they disappear because there's no devotion, right? They hear about a gospel of love, but they don't experience it when they walk in the doors. Now, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm merely calling it out because we've all been there, right? Maybe at another church, maybe at this church. Maybe you're there today at some level. We have marriages that are falling apart. We have people that are lonely. We have people who are coming to church who are seeking genuine relationships with genuine people. We have people going through tragedies and hardships all around. There is somebody in this room who might be having one of the worst days or the worst weeks or the worst seasons of their lives. It might be the person sitting next to you. It might be the person that you said hello to. It might be the face that you didn't recognize this morning. But the point is that life is tough. That there's a lot of things that are happening in and around and through us and we're just wishing that we had somebody to go through those things with and we come to a place like this, to a service like this, to a church like this, we're hoping that we find some togetherness, that we find some things in common. And in a church that's defined by love and devotion to each other, I think you've come to the right place. The question is, are we actually doing it? 
Are we actually finding ourselves in those spaces? See, part of the problem as I see this and diagnose it within myself, first and foremost, is recognizing that to have this genuine devotion to one another, it means that we have to give before we get, which is really counterintuitive. Nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to put themselves out there first. Once I feel safe, once I feel secure, once I've been there for a while and we have some relationships, then I'll, then I'll be comfortable. Then I'll, then I'll be able to give love back. But first of all, I've got to check and make sure. First of all, I've got to make sure that, that there's nothing bad going to happen because we've all put ourselves out there before and we've been stabbed in the back or hurt or betrayed or, or feel like we don't belong, all those types of things. But the reality is that when we go into our Sunday morning experience, when we go into into a church experience and we hold everything too close, we keep people at arm's length. We don't allow them to come in and to help us. And the issue with that is that we can't be devoted to one another if we're not being honest about what's going on in our lives and in our situations. If we're not willing to let people in and to have conversations, how can we be devoted? And so we learn, we put this in place where we insulate our hearts, we keep out people that could hurt us, and so we love people after they prove themselves. We love people uh, after we can trust them, only when it's safe. We wait for the results before we commit. We wait to feel loved before we devote ourselves to a people or a place or a church or a conversation. You see the problem with that, right? We wait for the result before we do the foundational principle. And what we said is that you have to do the thing first in order to get the results. Are you with me? So too often we're waiting for something to happen, waiting to have the response happen when really the devotional principle that we're instructed as Christ followers to practice is what makes the result and the response happen. Sometimes you have to say yes before you feel it or you'll never experience it. Right? This, I'll, I'll just go honest for a little bit here. This was me this morning. I didn't really feel like coming to worship today. It's complicated when it's your job, right? I think it's just difficult. But I was like, I don't know. I'm just not, not feeling worship, not feeling like singing. I was sitting over there. I usually worship with my hands up, fully in. And I just, I don't know, God, I'm not there. So I sat and I listened. And instead of singing, I just got to hear God speak to my heart, especially through those last two songs that we sang. And I got to recognize that in order to practice what I preach, I need to do the things that it is. I need to come and to be devoted in order to receive what God has for me. I needed to give before I simply expected to get. But too often we don't take the time to learn that lesson. We wait to be moved. We wait to feel loved. We wait for something to push us into action. But what the scriptural principle, what the foundational principle is, is that we have to devote ourselves to the actions and then the result and the response come. And the result is love and the action is that we have to pour out that love before perhaps we feel it. And so today, the, the instep, the response is actually kind of the same piece that's all woven into this. I think that if we devote ourselves to each other, to this place, to this people, to this space, and the result is a genuine capacity to love and pour ourselves out for one another, then our response to that love being poured out is displayed in self-sacrifice is displayed in setting aside our own needs, our own agendas, and being committed, devoted, not because of what we receive from that devotion, but because in giving that devotion is where we open ourselves up to receive it. First John continues in his letter. He says, this then is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for 
us. In other words, Jesus demonstrates that he gives before we get. And he says we ought to follow the same example. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Love comes from Jesus, and this is the fundamental issue that so often we have when we wait to respond to a feeling of love, whether we're talking about church or perhaps in your relationships or coworkers or anything else. If we wait to feel love, then we're missing the Jesus opportunity because we already have received all the love that we could ever need. All the understanding that we could ever possess has been poured out for us in Jesus. And when we possess that understanding of his love, we can act as a person who is fully loved, not on someone who's waiting to receive it. This enables you to devote yourself to the people into your life, to your families, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to the person sitting next to you. See, I think we have a false equivalency in our lives that comes from this, this idea of love. See, love becomes a transactional relationship. Once I get, then I'll give. And when you stop giving, then I stop Giving, And this is how we think love works. And then after 25 years of marriage or 20 years on the job or after being friends from years, the transaction changes and we say, ah, the love just faded. It just dissipated. It just changed because we built our love, I fear, on a transaction. But within the church, for us as Christ followers, our love comes from Jesus. And when we devote ourselves to each other by serving each other and putting other people's needs ahead of ourselves, we build on a different foundation. So if we devote ourselves to the love of Jesus, our love transaction doesn't become transactional. It simply becomes transformational where we've been so filled up with the love that Jesus has for us that when we interact with people, whether they be at church or on the side of the road or any sphere of our life, we're so full of the reality of the love that God has for us displayed in Jesus that we become givers no matter what we get. We become transformed through that relationship instead of always seeking a transaction, instead of always seeking, well, who's going to go first and what happens when it's disproportionate? What if I give more than they get? all those kinds of things. My favorite verse on this is one that uh, is always near to my heart. It's Philippians 2, starting at verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything for yourself. Let's start there. Or vain conceit, right? Conceited, trying to make yourself look more important. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of, as Christ Jesus. What would it look like if we started doing that? What would need to change within myself to be able to not look to my own needs, but to look to yours first? In humility to value your experience as higher, as more important than my own, to consider you in the same way that Jesus considers you. P.S. He loves you a lot. What if that were my first reaction to you as friends and families, to coworkers, to the person that I pass on the street? What if my mindset 
in serving other people was the same as Christ Jesus. I love the way that, that the message says it because it kind of just cuts through a lot of the fluff. It says, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And I don't know about you, but I'm so convicted of that because so much of my life is spent watching out for me. Anybody else with me? So much of what I devote myself to is making sure that I'm in the right spot, that I'm doing the right things, that I'm finding myself in the right place. But the Jesus message says, no, put other people above yourself. Because Jesus demonstrated this, right? That he knew what it was to be loved from God and that freed him to love people without restraint. And he came to die to show us that we could do the same. So look, the the point isn't if I experience love here, then I'll be committed, I'll be devoted, I'll serve, I'll give up my interest. The point is be devoted and give yourself to that. And in the midst of that, you'll find grace and truth and acceptance and warmth. You might find heartache as well. You might find betrayal as well. But the reality is that we can't experience anything meaningful if we keep everyone at arm's length. If we aren't devoted to each other, we'll never experience the genuine love that characterized this early church. But the way to start isn't to wait until you feel it. The way to start is to start doing it now with the love that Jesus has for us. So hard question for us this morning. Are you devoted to one another? Are you devoted to the people that God has put around you? So many spheres that we can do that. Are you devoted to the people in your immediate circle, in your family? Are you looking out for you or are you looking out for them? Let's expand that circle. Maybe your church family falls into there. Maybe close relationships. Are you devoted to loving them regardless of how they treat you? Let's expand it even broader to coworkers, people you pass on the street, whoever it might be. Are you devoted to loving them in the manner in which Christ calls us to? As we look at this idea of devotion, right, the hard pieces are that so often, especially within church world, we wait until we feel it in order to proclaim it. But I'm challenging you and challenging us to say, let's be devoted regardless because God says to, and let's let God bless our actions by letting love spring up from within, and then our response will be to continue doing more devotion, more service. If you're having trouble diagnosing that question, I understand that. Devotion is a hard thing to diagnose, so let's just walk through it. How would you know if you're devoted to the people here in this church? How often are you here? Not a frequency question. What's the quality of your time here? Do you have time before service and after service to build in relationships? Are you engaged in meaningful opportunities? Are you taking advantage of small groups to have more than a Sunday morning conversation? Is your serving limited to what you can allow to fit into your calendar, or do you serve here based on your devotion and love for what God is doing here and in the midst? I hate talking about this, but I'm going to talk about it again. We have Sundays that we're closing down our kids' ministry again because we don't have people who are willing and able to serve in that capacity. That's not to lay guilt on anybody. It's just to say, are we devoted to doing this thing together? Because it takes all of us not, not responding to things, but doing the things that need to be done and letting the response happen naturally. Maybe not a fun message, maybe not something to say, but I think there's something critical here for us in our devotion to one another. 
So I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to sing uh, one quick song. And, and as we do, I would just challenge you to maybe think on this idea about what devotion looks like for you in your relationships, specifically here at the church, but maybe the Holy Spirit's laying something different on you. And, and I want to challenge us this way. Let's make this a line in the sand type of conversation that if you show up next week, if you come to be a part of this, that you're demonstrating your ability to say, no, I want to be devoted to the people here. I want to be devoted to doing the things that God calls me to do. I want to be devoted to belonging and being here regardless of what I get back, perhaps regardless of how I feel. I'm just going to be devoted to doing the things that God calls me to do, and I'm going to let him take care of the rest. I think God's doing some amazing things here. I think he's brought some amazing people together. And I think that one of the linchpins that we're missing is a real solid devotion and care for the people around us here. And I want to challenge us to push through that, to find time, space, and opportunity to where we can genuinely care for one another, where we can be leaders in that prospectus instead of maybe just waiting and feeling it out. Eh, maybe if I feel it, I'll do it. If the nursery closes down, then sure, I'll serve, but it's about all I can do. I'll give when I show up, but don't ask me to do more than that. I can't change my schedule to be a part of a body of believers. Are you devoted to what God is doing here? Let me pray for us and we'll sing one more song. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I believe that you have so much more for us in this capacity. I believe that so many of us are lonely and isolated and wondering if this Jesus thing has any real meaning and value in our lives. And so we come and we kind of wait to see what's going to happen. We wait to see whether or not people will love us or respond to us or if we can find a home here or all those types of things. And we're constantly waiting on the result to happen. But scripture tells us that we're to be devoted to one another. We're to be devoted to brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to put others' needs and wants and desires above ourselves. And so, God, I pray that in this moment you would convict us of the areas in our lives where we need to be held accountable. God, of the places where you're going, I've left you with an endless love. I've equipped you to do everything that I've given you to do. So don't wait around, don't sit on the bench, but instead step in and step up and to start doing what God has called you to do. Be devoted to one another. Don't be casually acquainted with one another. Don't be on the margins knowing, hey, I think I know their name and maybe what they do throughout the week. Be devoted one to another. Let's have everything in common. Holy Spirit, would you seal this message in our hearts? Would you allow us to take action steps where we need to take action steps? Would you convict where you need to convict? God, would you affirm where we need to be affirmed? And would you remind us that we have everything that we need in you and that all we have left to do is respond in loving affirmation to what you've called us to be about. Heavenly Father, this is foundational that we're devoted to one another. You laid that principle out for us. Now help us live it out in everything that we do. All God's kids agreed together and said,